Newsday presents the Island Ice Podcast with Andrew Gross. And welcome to Island Ice, Newsday's New York Islanders podcast, episode nine, Thanksgiving week. Gobble, gobble. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Uh, as you know, you probably don't get a great sense from my profile pic, but trust me, this is my favorite holiday of the year, and I think for obvious reasons. Um, out here in California, I am uh, sitting in my uh, Marriott room. It is uh, late Monday night after actually early Tuesday morning, and uh, the times always screw me up when I come out to California. But uh, the Islanders' 17-game point streak has just ended with a 3 nothing loss to the uh, Ducks in Anaheim. Uh, drove down to L.A., from Anaheim after the game, so uh, we'll, we'll dive into that and what went wrong. Um, on the show tonight, We uh, later on, I got a long interview with uh, Steve Mears, the Pittsburgh Penguins television announcer, he used to be the Islanders radio play-by-play voice, always good to catch up with Steve, I hope you enjoy that conversation, and as always... Uh, We'll do some Q&A, Andrew's answers, towards the uh, end of the podcast. And uh, just keep in mind that I actually recorded that segment before the game against the, uh, the, the Ducks tonight or last night. And uh, so some of the things I may say in the lead here may be a little bit contradictory to some of the answers I provided. And uh, not that so much has changed with one regulation loss Um, but you know, my thoughts may have, uh, changed just a little bit from one day to the next. So again, um, thanks for tuning in. Uh, you can always, uh, follow me on Twitter at a gross newsday, and, uh, you certainly know where to find the podcast, be it on the newsday website, newsday.com backslash sports on SoundCloud, Apple, Spotify, Google. We are where you can find podcasts, and uh, thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, the streak is over. 15-0-2, and it ends with a 3-0 loss at Anaheim. And one, you know, uh, in talking to the players after the game, there, there was, I wouldn't say anger, but there was certainly a lot of frustration and disappointment and none of it had to do with the streak ending as I've been telling you, as the players have been telling me, they never really focused on the streak. Um, They they were more focused on their game and the game by game uh, results and there was disappointment because this, honestly, this was not a good game uh, for the Islanders. They did not compete to the level they needed to be. They were not as hungry as the Ducks were they they weren't as fully committed to the game as they usually are and uh as barry trotz uh, said after the game they didn't deserve to win and they didn't they got the result they want they they deserved which was a three nothing loss first time they've been shut out this season why why were they shut out now obviously you know besides not scoring goals the there was just a lack of production uh, second and third periods where, uh, you know, too much to the outside, not enough getting through to John Gibson. John Gibson played a, a, a good game, don't get me wrong, um, but, you know, 
he certainly really didn't have to work all that hard to make the 23 saves that he did. Uh, you know, Matthew Barzell, after the game, said, the, uh, quite frankly, the Islanders just weren't hungry enough. And I said to him, you know, that's not something that you will say about you and your teammates often. And he, he agreed with that. But uh, he said, just one of those nights. Now, you know, this is, comes in the middle of a California swing. California swings are always tough. It uh, doesn't matter what the records of the California teams are. It's always just, a, it's a tough trip to come out here, adjust to the different time zones and, uh, you know, play these teams. And, you know, I, I know that they all have the reputation of being physical teams. And, uh, you know, Dallas Eakin, Eakins, the, the, the first year Ducks coach, was pretty... Uh, uh, open in the morning before the game saying that he's really trying to model his ducks after the way the Islanders play in terms of defensive structure and the commitment that they show and uh, how they've bought into Barry's system, all those things, uh, and where they do it by committee and not just have one guy in Dallas Eakins said, you know, you've got Matthew Barzell and then, you know, you've basically got the rest of the team kind of, you know, doing everything they can. And that has been the recipe. But, you know, there are some issues, certainly, with the Islanders' lineup right now. And, you know, the the, the glaring ones are uh, Jordan Eberle, uh, since he's gotten back from that, uh, from that injury. It's been seven games. He does not have a uh, – he's got two assists. Uh, no goals, though, all season. Two assists in his seven games since coming back into the lineup. No goals uh, this season, although uh, Twitter was a flutter uh, after the Ducks' first goal because really that, that went in off Jordan Eberle's stick past Thomas Grice. And, yeah, there were a lot of jokes about Eberle finally scored his first goal of the season. Unfortunately, wrong net. Um, but they, they certainly need more from Jordan Eberle, Captain Anders Lee. You know, it's, what is that? That's seven games. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven games. Just counted it twice. Seven games without a point for the captain. Uh, no power play points at all this season, uh, which is uh, something... That that's strange. Usually, Anders Lee kind of cleans up on the power play around the net, and it hasn't been coming, and it hasn't been coming at even strength for him either. So, you know, Matthew Barzell's two wings here really have not been producing at all. Um, and and Josh Bailey, who was who started this game as a center, um, he's one goal, one assist over eight games. Um, but is that really? Uh, a lack of production from Josh, or is that Barry Trotz's or, or, you know, an inability to find a defined role for Josh Bailey? He's been on both wings. Uh, he's not in the top six, which he, where he's been mostly. Um, you know, I, I, I sort of suspect that, you know, if Jordan and, uh, and Anders Lee keep going this way, that Barry's going to shake things up. And he alluded to that after the game saying that, you know, he's been very patient with a lot of guys and maybe it's time to stop being as patient and, and maybe mix things up. And, you know, it, you really saw it against the Ducks. He, he put those lines in a blender and everyone was playing with everyone, uh, or at least all the guys that Barry had kept in the, 
in the rotation through the third period. So, you know, there, there are issues with the Islanders right now um, in terms of personnel. Um, but still, you know, 16... Uh, 16, four and two, it's not too shabby as you, as you get through, uh, you know, the, the 22nd game of the season. So, you know, how much do you want to nitpick? Well, I, I think it's worth nitpicking some stuff, but, uh, you know, Barry Trotz asked after the game, you know, and, and he talked about a lack of commitment and he talked about, you know, just needing to buy in more and, uh, be hungrier than they were in that game. But he also was asked whether or not it was hard to get angry after, you know, a performance like this with his team, given that they were 15-0-2 coming into this game. And, uh, yeah, Barry agreed with that assessment that it is tough to get mad at this group. Well, there's a certain standard, but I get it. Uh, you know, um, guys have committed a lot over a long time, and, uh, you know, we've won different ways. And, and just... It's just reality. We weren't. We didn't play well enough tonight to deserve to win. Uh, I think our guys are good enough pros to understand that. I'm not going to you know, kick any cans or anything like that. But just understand that there's a certain price you have to pay to win every game. We've been paying the price uh, for a long time, and we've, we've deserved a lot of the points that we've gotten tonight. We didn't pay enough of that. You know. You know the fee to win a hockey game, and they, they paid a little bit more, so they deserve to win. I'm sure you'll, you'll see in Los Angeles, but I'm assuming you're, you're feeling this can be a one-game-only type event in terms of... Yeah, you know, the, the next after a loss, the biggest game is the next game, plain and simple. Um, that's how we've approached it in you know, the last, last two years. You know, the, the biggest game is the game after a loss, so we'll see how we respond. Um, you know, we've got to get a couple guys going. I've been patient with some guys. Um, but we'll have to get going here. As you heard Barry say, his patience may be wearing thin with some of these players. So where do they go? Now, it's, you know, they, they wrap up this California swing Wednesday at Los Angeles against the Kings, and the Kings have not been doing well this season, but that's always a hard game. Like I said, you know, the, the Kings still can play a physical game and, uh, Perhaps the Islanders are going to want to get home that night. You know, like I said, California swings just can be odd sometimes. And after that, you got the Columbus Blue Jackets coming into Brooklyn on Saturday. And then right back on the road, um, you got a game back-to-back. So you got the Red Wings and then the Canadians. Uh, What is that, Monday and Tuesday uh, next week, you know, a bunch of original six teams. So that, that'll be a fun trip, but a tough one on the back to back. And then you, know, you come home for one more game, you get the Vegas golden Knights and, uh, Barry certainly remembers them from the Stanley cup final with the, uh, capitals. So you play one more game at home at, out at the Coliseum, and then you're back on the road for another week, just three games, but it, it's another long trip. You go all the way out to Dallas, you come back to Florida, you play the two Florida teams, um, you know, and the Lightning seem to be playing a little bit better of late. So, you know, bigger picture, the Islanders, yeah, they, they, they had this wonderful streak at 15-0-2. But this schedule, this schedule is going to be pretty tough right through Christmas. So it's certainly not like the Islanders can be satisfied. They do still need to take their game to another level. And the question really is, how do they get there? And like I said, 
I, I think Barry, uh, Barry needs to figure out how to best get some production out of the guys who are not producing. And he also needs to figure out, really, where Josh Bailey is going to play in this lineup. Um, you know, like I said, he, he was used as a third-line center to start the game. That didn't last long. He took shifts on Matthew Barzell's wing. It's two games in a row where he's uh, used Bailey a little bit on the wing and, and, or, or at center. And, and the reason why, you know, Josh Bailey is not really fitting in right now is because Derek Broussard, who was brought in to be the third-line center, has elevated his game to where Barry knows that to get the best out of Brock Nelson and Anthony, and Anthony Beauvillier, you need Derek Broussard on that right wing right now. And reaction to every action is that now you have Josh Bailey you know, he, he started today, and his wings were Michael Dalcal and Ross Johnson. And, and, you know, no disrespect to those two. They're, they're hard-working grinders, but, but that's what they are. And uh, if you're looking to, you know, spur some production out of Josh Bailey, well, it, it's probably not really going to come if he's in between uh, those two types of players. You know, you, you really need to get Josh into the top six, I think, to to optimize his performance, but there, you know, there's not a spot in that second line with, with, with Brass going to right wing, and now it's really a matter of how long does Barry Trotz stick with Anders Lee and Jordan Eberle on Matthew Barzell's wings, you know, is, is he going to shake things up quickly, or is he going to you know, trust that those guys are, are going to start getting on the score sheet. That will be interesting to watch in the days ahead. I don't know, you know, certainly they have a practice tomorrow out at El Segundo, and uh, we'll see if Barry uh, shakes up the lines quickly or whether, you know, his warning through the media, which I'm sure he, you know, said to the team as well, was is going to be taken just as a warning for now, and we'll see as to where the players react to that. But back to Josh Bailey uh, a little bit. You know, uh, Barry Trotz was asked about Josh and how he all fits in and whether, you know, him being at center was going to be a a longer-term solution or not. And, And Barry quickly said he was just worried about one game. He said, I see it as tonight, and then we'll see after that. Well, tonight has come and gone, and tonight didn't go well. So whether that means that was a one-off for Josh Bailey in the middle or not, we'll see. But, uh, you know, here's Barry Trotz's thoughts on on Josh Bailey and and his game right now. Yeah, absolutely, 100%. He's done it uh, in, in short increments. Uh, his hockey IQ and his his hands are really good. So um, the great thing about Josh right now, and he understands that we're we're trying to get to is we're trying to find the, all the right pieces, and we're we're doing it on the fly a little bit. So he's he's all in. He he just wants to win, and that's a good sign of that's why he's wearing an A. Uh, quite frankly, is that uh, he's doing what's best for the team all the time. So uh, again. You know, for for a team that's in second place in the Metropolitan Division, um, they, there's still some big question marks here. And, uh, you know, the the other aspect is, uh, you know, uh, the, the defense is, you know, the, the defense was, to me, I, I thought it was not as good 
uh, you know, at times, certainly in this game, as, I, as I've seen over the course of the season, and even a 2-1 overtime loss at San Jose to start the trip on Saturday night. Uh, you know, Semyon Varlamov played well. Um, not much was generated, so the Islanders are going back to, you know, needing more offense, as I've been talking about, and that always leads to questions about what Lou Lamarillo is going to do. But, yeah, there have been, I would say, more odd man rushes this trip than I think the Islanders uh, would like to see. And, you know, I, I get the sense that Barry saw some of this creeping into the game. He's seemed a little more tense and, and, and terse with his responses of late. And I, I think, you know, and that's relative because Barry Trotz is one of the best guys, coaches in the NHL with the media that the, there is. And, you know, he, he never takes pot shots at the media. I'm not suggesting that at all. But, you know, if you're around him a lot, you can tell the difference when he's, you know, in a really, really good mood and, and when there's some concern. And I really got the sense that, you know, probably starting... After that Philadelphia game, uh, where they came back and won that game, there were three goals in the third period, and they, they went in the shootout 4-3 at Philly. Uh, as soon as that game was over, I, I sort of sensed that Barry, you know, had a little bit of concerns that his, his team's play was slipping. Um, and, you know, certainly, <laughs> you know, an interesting game. The, the next one in, in Pittsburgh, the 5-4 overtime win, uh, the first of back-to-back games where Brock Nelson uh, scored the overtime winner, and he's the uh, third star of the week for the NHL as a result. Um, but but the Islanders had to rally in that game, you know, twice from two goal deficits, and uh, you know, late in the third period, and then you go into the the game at, at, in Brooklyn, a four-three overtime win against. Uh, Pittsburgh, it was it was a solid game, you know, but you know the Penguins all still got out to a a two one lead in that, uh, and I just get the sense that that Barry was concerned about the way the team was starting, the way the team was able to maintain its intensity. Um, you know, it was kind of relying on uh, those comebacks for a little bit, and like I said, you know, coaches often get angry or intenser during winning streaks or point streaks uh, at times. Uh, I've just, I think that's the thing. Coaches just get tense. And uh, we'll see how the Islanders react. If history is a, is a barometer, they react well. This is, uh, you know, they've, they've, they've only lost two in regulation uh, once this season. So they're looking to avoid that against the Kings and then go home and uh, I outline the schedule. So, uh, you know, interesting times ahead for the Islanders. Uh, certainly they've risen in everyone else's eyes uh, in terms of what is expected this season. You know, I, I saw one place where you know, I think they were atop the NHL power rankings. And, uh, you know, they're certainly amongst the four or five favorites now for the Stanley Cup. So big expectations. And you know what? You want to you wanna be a team with big expectations, you know. But the, the, the flip side of that is, you know, everyone, everyone targets you now. And uh, the Islanders have been dealing with this for a while. A um, little bit of adversity with this game. And, uh, you know, the Kings game, as Barry says, most important game 
is the one after a loss to see how the team responds. So uh, we'll see how the team responds. Uh, but now I, I'd like to get to this interview I did with Steve Mears. We sat in the stands at PPG Paints Arena in Pittsburgh, and we just chatted on a lot of different subjects because Steve Mears has done a lot in his career. Pittsburgh kid who's, uh, you know, he's worked, he's called uh, Penguin Games, he's called Islander Games, he's worked for the NHL Network. You know, I, I, I spent a little time with him when he was... Uh, doing some Ranger broadcasts as well on the pregame sh show. So uh, I hope you enjoy this, and uh, I appreciate the time Steve uh, gave me. And, and here is uh, Steve Mears' conversation with me from Pittsburgh. You may remember him as the Islanders' radio voice from uh, 06 to 09, if I'm correct. And Steve, you got it. Steve, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, thanks for having me. <laughs> this is great. Always good to talk hockey. <laughs> Well, let, let, let's get into it. Um, I, I want to get your views on uh, what you've seen from the Penguins so far this season. Uh, you know, by the time this podcast will be out, the uh, Islanders and Penguins will have played three times, and I don't think they play again until March. Obviously, Sidney Crosby out for six weeks. And just how, how do you see the, uh, the, the Penguins getting through this stretch? I think it all starts with the structure and particularly the defense that the team is playing with right now. Uh, these are characteristics that at times last year were not in their game. We certainly saw it in the playoff series. Uh, so this is a different brand of hockey being played by the Penguins. And a lot of people around here are saying it's very reminiscent of the style in 2016 and 2017 that led to two Stanley Cup championships. A lot of characteristics. The speed, for one thing, they're much faster than they were last year. Uh, well coached. I mean, the same coach, but the structure and the team adhering uh, to that structure. And also contributions from young players. You think back to the back-to-back -back cups, from Matt Murray to Jake Gensel to Brian Russ to Connor Sherry, Scott Wilson. It was a lot of young guys who played huge roles in those two teams. And now this year, it's Sam Lafferty and Teddy Bluger and Jared McCann, who's only 23, even though he's been in the league now for four-plus years. So when you think about those characteristics, there are a lot of similarities to the two teams that won back-to-back. -back. The issue right now, and has been really from day one, has been injuries. Uh, they have not been fully healthy at all, really, from the first game. It's only been two periods where they've been healthy all year, and that'll continue, of course, with Crosby being out uh, due to the core muscle surgery. So I think if this team gets healthy, they are going to be a formidable, formidable force in the Eastern Conference, but uh, in the meantime, they're doing a good job of just battling through it. It sounds to me, uh, knowing Mike Sullivan back from when I covered him as an assistant with the Rangers, this seems to be like a team he would really like, kind of coaching this way. Exactly, yeah. This is, and especially when we saw it last year, the opposite. <laughs> so, you know, it's like this is different, okay? It's, it's not just the coaches speak, and because we're the team broadcast, we're just. Uh, you know, just uh, trying to kind of propping it up a little bit and uh, and trying to exaggerate in any way. This is much different than last year, um, and mostly because of the speed and just every night they're right there. They're right there in, in the competition. It doesn't matter who the opponent is. It doesn't matter who's out of the lineup from Crosby on down. Just about every big name has been injured at some point. Uh, it hasn't mattered. So uh, I give Mike Sullivan a ton of credit for. Uh, what the message he's been able to deliver to this team and how they've responded. So, uh, yeah, he's really pleased. Even even after some very disappointing losses, we've had a few 
really tough ones last second goals and coming all the way back but just falling short and uh but at the end of the day he says you know what five on five and and for 60 minutes or maybe even 55 we were the better team we deserved a better fate and i think as it stands right now the penguins record probably should be and could be better than it is how much of an eye-opener, and what was the reaction? I, you know, the Islanders blow into town in the playoffs. They sweep the Penguins, uh, you know, and then so people around the Islanders did not really study the aftermath of that too much. But what, what was the aftermath of, of that sweep, and how much of an eye-opener was it to the organization in terms of where they really stood? Well, it, it definitely, I remember when that game ended, it was a thought, of how there are going to be changes. There was going to be something. I wasn't sure it was going to be one of the true core guys like Crosby, Malkin, obviously, uh, and even Latang. I didn't think they were going to make that type of move. But all signs kind of pointed to Phil Kessel. Uh, maybe it was time for him to move on, and that obviously happened in the summertime. Uh, probably the most telling phrase from Jim Rutherford after the playoff series was that he said, I never felt this group came together as a team even from the start of the season never felt that and I I think I felt that too I mean I'm not as immersed in it as players and coaches and management but I I did get that sense um and now Phil Kessel moves on I do think it was definitely time for him to move on and the Panthers get back to more of a north-south game which uh, let's face it he's more east-west uh he was great when he was here there's no doubt about it but at some point, it was time to make a significant change to the personnel. There's three guys that I mentioned. Murray would be a fourth that aren't going to be moved and weren't going to be moved this summer at least. And uh, Kessel ended up being the guy. So I, we knew there'd be some change. But for Jim Rutherford to say that the, the team never came together, never gelled, uh, I think that says a lot about uh, team chemistry and it needed to be improved. You, you mentioned you believe the Penguins are going to be, you know, an Eastern Conference contender. And there are, there are a bunch of strong teams in, in the Eastern Conference, the Islanders being one of them. And, and they haven't really gotten much traction in the Metropolitan Division because the Capitals are playing so well. You know, the Canadians are off to a good start. Obviously, the Bruins are good. How do you see the Eastern Conference shaping up? Wow. Yeah, we know. We've known that, that this was going to be tough. I, I think everybody figured the Atlantic would be really tough with Tampa and Boston and Toronto. And Toronto has been disappointing so far. Tampa has been disappointing. So I think most people in the Eastern Conference have their eye on the Atlantic mm-hmm. and didn't realize how good the Metropolitan Division is. And the reason I think some people thought the Islanders would take a step back, and they were wrong. Carolina would take a step back. Columbus lost all their big names. They would take a step back. And uh, you know what? Carolina's been really good. We know what the Islanders have done. Washington continues to do its thing. The Penguins are improved. Um, And there was all the hype about the Rangers and the Devils, but they've disappointed so far. So uh, it's been an interesting way the uh, Metropolitan Division has unfolded. And a lot of the the top teams, it's actually kind of similar to last year. Rangers and Devils are toward the bottom. Um, really, the one drop-off probably is Columbus, but it's hard to fault them with all the, the personnel that they lost, including their number one goalie. Um, but yeah, Washington, to me, still very much a Stanley Cup contender after recharging. We know here in Pittsburgh what it's like. You win that cup, and the next year, it's not easy to do. I know the Penguins did it in back-to-back years, but uh, you do have a little bit of uh uh, that challenge of just trying to get motivated to get going again. I give the Caps now after a year uh, in which they sh- they were unable to go far in the playoffs to come back here and uh, 
and they are truly a Stanley Cup contender. The Islanders look like a Stanley Cup contender. And as I said, I do think the Penguins are right there. So they, they'd be my top three teams in the division, uh, assuming the Penguins can get healthy here at some point. But in the meantime, they're doing a pretty good job of uh, keeping their heads above water. Uh, you mentioned the Islanders. Uh, you saw them, you know, for the one game, the 4-3 Penguins uh, overtime win, the nice comeback by the Penguins in that game. I'm sure you've studied some tape of them, you know, looked at the stats. What are your impressions on what Barry Trotz has done with this organization, Lou Lamarillo, the whole staff, and how maybe they've built upon what they established last season? Well, we wanted to make sure the Islanders can't win every game. We had to, we had to go into Brooklyn and just put a stop to the winning streak to make sure they didn't win every single game they played. I mean, this point streak that they have coming into the game in Pittsburgh is incredible, and uh, the, just that winning streak they were able to accomplish uh, they came to an end in Brooklyn there. I mean, really an outstanding, an outstanding run, and I do give Barry Trotz a lot of credit. It reminds me a lot of uh, what Mike Sullivan has been able to instill here in his four-plus seasons in Pittsburgh. Um, a lot of structure. It starts with defense. In the Penguins' case, a lot of it is... Mike Sullivan talks about their instinct is offense and score. We're an offensive-minded team, so he has to try to instill defense. Barry Trotz has done that throughout his entire career. He's been one of the best coaches of this generation. Uh, so, amazing job, really is. Uh, and you look at this team that Barzell is a, to me a star player. There are a lot of really good players for the Islanders, but do they have a Sidney Crosby? Do they have an Alex Ovechkin? No, but they're just really well coached. And uh, you see the structure with which they play, the fact that they're tough to play every single night. And that's, that's what Mike Sullivan's been saying the last couple years, especially last year. We weren't tough enough to play against. And in fact, when we gave a lot of freebies, you don't get any freebies with the Islanders. I mean, that's, and, uh, and now this year with the Penguins, I think we could say the same thing. So you've got two great coaches in Mike Sullivan and Barry Trotz. Both are Stanley Cup winners. And uh, I think they have similar philosophies that it's got to start with defense and then the offense will sprout from there. Now, you've had a, a varied and a very successful career in broadcasting. And you're, you're back in Pittsburgh now with the, you know, kind of where you started. But what, what do you recall from your time with the Islanders, 06 to 09? You got one playoff series out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I did, didn't I? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that was a distant, distant memory. Um, there, there were a lot of moments, though, for three years and the team not being all that good. My claim to fame, by the way, is 2009. I was the radio guy for the team that was so bad that they had the first overall pick and drafted Tavares, and we know the rest is history. Um, but there were a lot of memorable moments. That playoff series you talk about in 2007, the Wade Dublowitz poke check at the Meadowlands in the last game of the year, and the Islanders had to win, I think it was the last four games, plus they had to have help from two teams. So six things had to happen. They ended up winning the last four, and the last one in a shootout with a Wade Dublowitz poke check at the Meadowlands. That one stands out, and the fact they were able to make it to the postseason, that was my first year. Um, and then the other memory is the Al Arbor night when he came back, game 1500, uh, to have this legendary coach come back I got to sit down and do a one-on-one -on -one interview with him and just be around him and and the way Ted Nolan responded and, and it was his idea to begin with and the way the team embraced Al coming back that was an unbelievably special night it didn't even matter that they had the dramatic win uh, at the end and Miro Chatan scored and uh, it was a dramatic win ironically against Pittsburgh 
but uh, just to have Al there and just to hear his philosophies of the game and, and then to see some of the, the current players uh, chat with him about hockey and, and for him to share the stories about the dynasty, um, that, that was really special. So I, I'm honored that I got to be a part of that. And then the, other, the other thing was just the, the meeting so many wonderful people, some of whom are still with the organization. Uh, I just saw Scott Boggs, equipment manager. He was still uh, working in the dressing room back then. And uh, Josh Bailey, I was there when he got drafted. And I saw, I called his first goal. I was there for his first game. And, and now to think that he's in the top five of games played in Islanders history, it's like, where did the time go? It's unreal that that is the case, that he's in the top five in Islanders uh, games played all, all time. It's, it's uh, a testament to him and his career. And I gave him a ton of credit, but it was a lot of fun in getting to meet uh, yourself and Islander fans and uh, Chris King and everybody. I just, I just loved it. It was a great first NHL job. Tell me a little bit uh, about Ted Nolan. It's a guy, you know, that isn't talked about much at all anymore, but it was a very interesting to me period in Islanders history with this guy coaching the team. Uh, you know, I know he went on and he had another tenure in Buffalo. But what were your impressions of him as a coach? And were you surprised that it kind of burned out so quickly? Yeah, it was uh, the one thing that always was said about the Ted Nolan by the players was that he was an incredible motivator. He had this ability to just capture your attention in the dressing room, to give very poignant speeches, and to have, say the right thing, have the right tone and the right words at the right moment. Um, but as we know, that can't just be all of what you, you bring to the table. So I, I, I don't I wasn't in a dressing room. I don't know how good he was tactically. And uh, now in this day and age, you see these coaches like Barry Trotz and the video work. And, and you have to be a tactician. You better be good with the X's and O's in addition to managing people and personalities. Uh, but Ted Nolan, incredibly personable, uh, treated me extremely well and uh, just a real humble guy. Um, so I think... As far as being a motivator, and, and there is that people aspect. You ask any coach, I mean, how much of it is strategy and how much of it is managing people and personalities? It's got to be 50-50, if not more, on the people side. And probably, I would think, a little heavier on the people side because uh, here you've you got 20 personalities, and you better be good at managing those egos and those, uh, those people and, and just being there, being a good teacher at times. Islanders were a young team. Um, so it, it was very, uh, I think, interesting to learn from, you know, just his background and, and the success he had in Buffalo and um, in the mid-90s. So it was a unique time. But the, the bottom line was the team wasn't all that good. I mean, if it was an era where the team was not that good. Yeah. And now it's good to see that they are uh, a, certainly a playoff team, if not a Stanley Cup contender. And uh, I'm just so happy that... Uh, yeah, the, the organization with Lou Lamorello and with Barry Trotz now and the new ownership and the new building on the horizon. I'm just so happy that uh, after all the struggles, and I was there for three years of struggles, that uh, it's all trending in the right direction. I'm, I'm so happy for the, the fans and the organization. I, I know that the two Penguins road games against the Islanders, both are at Barclays this season, but... Did you ever think there would be games at the Coliseum? I mean, when they walked out in 2015, did you? I mean, I'm I'm assuming like most people, you just thought you had seen the last of yeah, that building. Exactly. Yeah, I thought oh, that was it. You know, um, there, there, I thought the plan was Brooklyn when I first heard that news. That okay, Brooklyn. Uh, I didn't know much about the building. Didn't even know much about the area to be honest. 
And uh, I was like, okay, well, if, if it makes the team financially stable and sustainable, then okay, Brooklyn it is. But uh, obviously, that wasn't the ideal situation. And uh, for those, like the playoff series last year with the Penguins, to be back there at Nassau Coliseum, the same smell, the same press box. <laughs> uh, but it is a shinier version. I right. walked in, and it's just like they just polished the old shell of the Coliseum. It's a nicer scoreboard, nicer lighting, and the seats are nicer. It's not as run down or anything. So it's like they, they polished the old barn. And uh, it, so it is pretty nice. It's just, though, in 2019, 2020, you need the suites, you need the fancy amenities. I mean, you look at some of the facilities. We go around, we travel to all these buildings. I mean, uh, we're here in Pittsburgh, and and you look around here. This building is now getting to 10 years old. I mean, think about that, and it's state-of-the-art, but uh, it's incredible how time flies and, and how things change. You go to Detroit now, for example, and how gorgeous their building is. Uh, so you need the amenities, you need the suites and everything, and they will have that at, at Belmont Park. So uh, it, it's nice to know that financially uh, their health will be okay and, uh, and it's easy to get to from what I hear. Uh, it will be to get out to the new building as compared to Brooklyn and, uh, and all that. So I'm, I'm just very happy for the Islander fans that they will have a new home that is their building and you can, they can uh, have all the Islander history and not just the banners, but historical displays and maybe some memorabilia and some murals, just like it is here in Pittsburgh, because there's a rich history here too. And uh, it's celebrated just about everywhere you turn in this arena. Well, yeah, I was gonna bring up, I mean, the Igloo was an iconic place. I mean, it was an old place. There were there was a lot of difficulties in, in that building, um, and, and and the Penguins couldn't make a lot of money there. And you come across the street here, and it's now that the Penguins, uh, you know, not looking at the Forbes list, but I would have to assume they're one of the healthiest financial franchises in the league right yeah, now. They are, they are. Uh, it starts with great ownership with Ron Burkle and Mario Lemieux. I grew up going to the Igloo. Speaking of bad smells, uh, this. <laughs> This is another old barn that had uh, the occasional mouse that ran around in the bowels of the arena. And I grew up there. I mean, I'm from here. Uh, for those who don't know, I grew up going to Penguin Games as a kid. And then one of the ways I learned how to drive a car was I, my dad would let me drive down the parkway to Penguin Games. And we would go together. And it was the best. And it, and it was a unique building. I, I don't For the younger fans, uh, it looked like a spaceship. And I thought, as a kid, I thought all arenas looked like that. And then I went to another one somewhere in another city, and I was like, it just looks like any old building. But the igloo looked like an igloo. It, was, it, looked, it had this big silver dome, and you went inside, a super high ceiling in that dome shape that was retractable. It never really was used. They never moved the roof uh, in the modern days because of the scoreboard and how it was uh, fixed up to the uh, top of the ceiling. But I thought all arenas were like that. And uh, that is true. If you go back to the days in the first, the late 90s, and then especially just prior to the Crosby draft lottery, it was not looking good. I mean, the Penguins were awfully close to maybe going to Kansas City. That was the one city that uh, was mentioned quite often. Uh, and if it wasn't for Mario Lemieux stepping in in the late 90s, saving the team, the work of Yarmer Yager as a player, giving this team necessary CPR with the, the various playoff series that he won by himself. And then, obviously, the Crosby draft lottery. If those factors don't happen, we 
we're not sitting here in Pittsburgh and uh, the Penguins are, are probably in another city, whether it's Seattle or Houston or Kansas City. Uh, it was very tenuous at times um, financially, and, and it was it's a story that's been told in a few different markets like Chicago. There's nobody coming to the games. I mean, the seats were empty, and the team wasn't very good. And uh, I was I, I enjoyed it as a kid in that era because you could come in and, and real cheap. You could sit by the glass and you could watch NHL hockey. But in the long run, uh, they needed a lot of help financially. And uh, Mario Lemieux multiple times saved the team in the 80s as a player, 90s as a Stanley Cup champion, late 90s as an owner, and then his comeback. And and obviously uh, with Sid coming to Pittsburgh, that's what really saved the franchise. And we're lucky that uh, it all happened here because this is truly a great hockey town and that the Penguins would have had no business leaving because there are so many great hockey fans in this region. Yeah, no, you see it every time I've been here to cover a playoff series. The, the crowd outside the arena, they you know, they have TV screens set up, there are bands outside, you know, all the establishments here are packed. It, it, like you said, it's just... It is a fantastic hockey city, and and it's good that it worked out for the NHL here. Um, you know, and it's funny, you mentioned Kansas City. You heard that city associated with the Islanders more than a yeah. few times. Um, just one last one, and I appreciate all your time, but, um, you know, I, I'm assuming this was kind of, this has been your childhood dream of, of getting to do this. What... what if there's one or two things, what is the best part about being a broadcaster and being a part of this this hockey culture? And the different you, you've worked for the NHL Network, you've done radio, you've done TV. What, what, what's your favorite part of this? Easy answer. The best part of the, this job is that you get in for free. That's the best <laughs> part. That's uh, if you had told the ten year old Steve who was a diehard Penguin fan, and I have the pennants and the posters and the hockey cards and everything to prove it. I mean, it's all Mario. I was all about Mario. He was my hero and idol. Uh, if you had told him at 10 years old that someday down the road you would get to sit in the seat that was once occupied by Mike Lang, who was my broadcasting idol, still is, and is a great colleague and friend, uh, and then you get in for free. You get to go to the games for free. I used to sit in the igloo, and I remember nudging my brother specifically it was a Penguin Ranger game, one that really stands out, and I would point up to the press box, and I said, look at those big lights. That's where Mike Lang sits. You could see, like, the shadow in his white shirt, and I said, I would tell him, no, not that one, that one with the big lights. That's Mike Lang. That's where he sits, and this is while the game is actually going on, and I was more captivated by seeing where Mike Lang was, and uh, I just thought that was the greatest job ever, that he got to go in, he got to get in for free, he got paid to be there, and he got to describe the game in such a brilliant fashion, which he's been doing now for 45 years. I just thought it was the coolest job in the world. So that's all I wanted to do since I was 10 years old. There was no plan B. I mean, I didn't have any any plan B. It's actually very stupid when you think about it. I put all my eggs in this hockey play-by-play basket. Very foolish. But it was it all paid out. Uh, paid off in the end. I'm very fortunate. Uh, you get some breaks along the way. You have great mentors. I mean, with the Islanders. You think about it, I come to the Islanders, I'm working with Chris King, who's still such a good friend, was an amazing partner, he introduced me to everybody and, and showed me the ropes. Billy Jaffe was there doing TV, Howie Rose, one of the best ever, was doing TV. So I had these mentors, they were all like big brothers to me, I was only 26 years old when I came to the Islanders, I was super young and stupid, but uh, 
I had such great influences around me at that time. And, uh, and now to be able to do this and just get in for free, it's like I've said many times, I'm playing with house money here. This is, uh, this is all just a, a fun ride. And if uh, tonight or whenever, this week I do my last game somehow, then I'm cool with it. I'm, I'm as happy as can be because I got to do the Penguins games and I, I'm still a big Penguin fan. It's in my DNA. It's just uh, like, how can you replace that? It's it's just how it is whenever you're a fan. We all have been there. We all had our guy. You know, if you're in Ted in Boston, you're in Ted Williams or Chicago, Michael Jordan. Mario was our guy. So if you're a diehard fan of a certain team and you get to work for that team and to be their announcer, I don't know if they could get any better than that. Well, Steve, continued success, and uh, it's been great chatting with you. I really appreciate it. Well, always good to have you here, Andrew, in Pittsburgh. If you ever need a tour, since I'm from here, I can give you the tour for Manny Brothers for lunch, obviously yep. the fries on the sandwich. Go to the Warhol Museum. Go to the Carnegie. Uh, I'm more than happy to serve as the Pittsburgh tour guide <laughs> for any, any Islander fan or whomever. Uh, since I am born and raised here, I'm, it's not phony, I'm born and raised and uh, my family still lives here and uh, I just, uh, I'm a big, big fan of the city as a, as a sports fan in general. It's a great sports town. Yeah, my doctor has put the kibosh on the Fermanti brothers. Oh, and, yeah. small doses, small doses. <laughs> you can do, you can do, there's other options. You go to Pamela's for breakfast. Uh, there's all kinds of uh, great spots here, but first and foremost, it's a sports town. Oli Mata was here recently and his comeback, you know, he plays for Chicago now, played here, won the two Stanley Cups. And I asked him, what do you miss most about Pittsburgh? He said, the sports and the people, the very nice people. So uh, I think uh, I would agree with that. Two characteristics of the city, sports, people, and I'll throw the food in there too. Well, Steve, you're a great example of this area. And again, thank you so much for everything. Thanks, Andrew. Always good to talk with you. Well, I, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Steve Mears. Uh, from last week. Steve, one of the truly nice people in this business, uh, very generous to uh, sit down in the stands uh, at PPG Paints Arena and give me so much time, some fun memories with Steve. Uh, Steve obviously has held a, a number of different uh, jobs in hockey over the years. Uh, you know, obviously the radios, uh, the Islanders radio play-by-play announcer, uh, now Penguins TV announcer, and uh, also when, when I was on the Rangers beat a few years back, he, uh, he was doing, uh, at least some of the shows, he was doing uh, the Rangers pregame show on radio, and they would have me on as a guest, so uh, Steve would uh, chat with me before a few games, uh, you know, it, it was usually either Steve, uh, sometimes uh, Donnie LaGreca, would be the pregame uh, <laughs> pregame host, and I just remember going on with both of those guys, both very very nice to me and uh, uh, appreciative of them. I, I I do remember, you know, at one point joking with Donnie uh, because I I feel like I had gone on the uh, the pregame show a, a couple of times in a row, a few times in a row, and I joked with uh, Donnie that uh, the next time I went on, I wanted some theme music. And sure enough, Donnie had me on about a week later, and he uh, kind of surprised me because uh, he he told me, "Here's your theme music," and they played me in. And uh, as you know, theme music pumps me up. It's time for your questions with Andrew's answers. So yeah, we're uh, now at the portion of the show uh, weekly. Q&A session via Twitter, Andrew's Answers. 
Um, you guys have been great about sending in some uh, questions on a weekly basis. I certainly have a lot of fun uh, uh, trying to get through them and uh, answer them in a proper way. Before I get to this week's, I, I just want to address something I, I said last week. Uh, I've gotten quite a few uh, tweets at me and emails. Uh, I, I think I was asked last week for uh, one of my favorite Islander memories uh, as a kid. And I, and I mentioned you know, kind of the, the romantic idea of uh, listening to playoff games in, in the radio, on the radio. And, and I mentioned specifically Bobby Nystrom uh, scoring that Stanley Cup winner in 1980. And as most of you, or a lot of you pointed out to me, uh, rightfully so, uh, I couldn't have been under the covers listening to that game since it was a matinee. Um, so it, it's just one of those instances, you know, I, I, I thought I'd remembered something, uh, you know, kind of uh, as the years go by, it, it was a false memory, uh, probably something else blended with one thing and uh, things get a little hazy over the years. Might have been thinking about listening to Bobby Nystrom's overtime winner in game five against the Maple Leafs in 78. I know it was... Uh, you know, rapidly following that series as well. Uh, you know, the the uh, OT two one loss in Game Seven uh, to Toronto that stuck in my craw for a long time. So, uh, you know, I apologize for putting out a false memory. That's for the life of me. That's that's how I had remembered it, and uh, I, I'm glad you guys pointed that out to me. I apologize. But that does not take away from the fact that many, many times I was listening to uh, Islander Hockey on a radio, possibly a transistor radio, um, and trying to uh, hide that fact from my parents who uh, were trying to send uh, their young son to bed. And uh, the young son was uh, not going to bed uh, when the parents wanted him to go to bed. But as, as we uh, move on, uh, we're going to do some Andrew's answers here. Again, thank you for the uh, questions, and we'll dive right into it with the good friend Old School Mountie, who asks, I know Lee and Eberly are important members of this team, but something's got to give. The point streak is masking their complete lack of offense. They are flat out not producing, and that's affecting Barzell. What tricks does Barry have up his sleeve? to fix this power outage. Um, I, I might argue a little bit that it's affecting Barzell. Uh, I, I think that is incorrect. Barzell is obviously, you know, producing offensively, both five on five and on the power play. Uh, Anders Lee and, and, and Jordan Everly are still helping with that. Uh, Jordan you know, as, as I talked to uh, Matthew Barzell this, this week and uh, wrote a story in Sunday's Newsday about it, Barzy credits Eberly with being one of the trickiest pickpockets on the team. It's kind of, uh, you know, gotten into Barzell's game as well, this desire to use their sticks to intercept passes and to pick, pick stick uh, pucks off of opponent's sticks and uh, just, you know, uh, Barzy calls him and Everly little thieves, basically. And, uh, you know, that's a contribution. Um, and, and Andrews Lee, you know, still getting to the net front, still doing a lot of dirty work on that line. Um, 
so I, the, the, the idea that they are flat out not producing and that's affecting Barzell, I, I think is a little strong and incorrect. Um, I, I know the easiest thing to do is to look at the score sheet and, uh, you know, Jordan Everly, as I, as I do this Q&A, still is waiting for his first goal of the season. Uh, he was out with the injury for a little bit. And uh, Andrews Lee still waiting for his first power play point. Um, as far as what tricks Barry might have up his sleeve to fix this power outage, uh, I mean, you know, at some point would Barry, you know, put the lines in a blender a little bit? Does Josh Bailey get a chance with Barzell, uh, maybe in lieu of uh, Everly? I, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I, I just think Barzell is so comfortable playing with those two guys that... Uh, you might affect his game more if if you took those two away from him. And, you know, uh, Saturday at San Jose, you saw Barzell being double-shifted a little bit. And at one point, uh, you know, I think he was on the ice with Clutterbuck and Martin. At one point, I had him, noted him down with Beauvillier and Bailey. Um, so, so Barry's moving him around a little bit. But uh, as far as breaking up the lines, uh, you know, I, I think... I, I think Barry might stick around a little bit with that just because Barzell, like I said, is so comfortable with that. Um, Thomas Boyle, uh, another loyal follower here, is Colbar Drow still injured and not playing for the Sound Tigers? No, I, I, I did mention that a couple of weeks ago where we had some sound from Lou Lamarillo mentioning that uh, Cole had gotten hurt, you know, his first game after being sent back down to Bridgeport. Uh, talking to some of the players who keep in touch with some of the players in Bridgeport, I, I guess he had blocked a shot, um, but I, 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 he was he was back pretty quickly. He he was okay. So uh, yeah, no Cole is Cole is playing for the Sound Tigers. Um, in trust we in trots we trust, which is not quite as easy to say as you think it might be. Um, Whatever happened to Mark Hunter coming to the Islanders in the summer of 2018? Many media reports had him becoming the GM with Lou being team president, but the story just died. Thank you. Um, yeah, and that's pretty much, it, it was speculation. Uh, I think I even wrote that, you know, he would be a logical candidate since he had been an assistant GM to Lou Lamarillo with the Maple Leafs and, and very well regarded as well. But, you know, Lou, Lou first came to the Islanders. He was hired as president. Um, Garth Snow, you know, who had been the GM president, was reassigned as the Lou kind of evaluated the organization. And Lou decided that he wanted to be the GM as well, which was the setup he he had and was successful with with the Devils. Now Lou Lou likes being in control, and uh, you know he solidified his power base as president and GM. Um, and then, as far as assistant general managers, you know Chris Lamarillo, his son, was already in place before Lou, you know, joined the organization. And Steve Pellegrini um, came over, and uh, you know he he had worked with Lou with the Devils. And, uh, you know, he works a lot with the, uh, with the cap and, and has also gotten into a player personnel evaluation. And, uh, you know, it's two assistant GMs that, that Lou trusts. And, you know, there just didn't seem to be a spot for Mark Hunter. And, you know, uh, if Lou had wanted to hire Mark, he, he's, he's still out there. 
you know, he, he hasn't gotten another job since leaving the Maple Leafs uh, within the NHL. So, uh, yeah, no, sometimes, you know, speculation doesn't come through the way you think it's going to happen. We, we try and be as logical as possible. And, you know, it, Lou wanted to be the GM as well as uh, the president. Uh, it's as simple as that. Let's see, Isles Guy... Uh, asks, making the early assumption the Islanders do make the playoffs, will ownership be able to convince Bentman that all Islanders playoff games must be played at the Coliseum? If anyone's been to a game at Barclays this season, it's clear they don't want us and we don't want them. Um, now, I, I'll, I'll attack the last part of that. I, I, I've actually, and I've mentioned this on the podcast, I've been a little bit surprised that uh, attendance at at Barclays, I think the average at Barclays for the, for what is it, the four games now, uh, is better than at the Coliseum, a small sample size. But you know, the crowds at Barclays relatively have not been bad, but I don't know if it's ownership uh, going to Batman. But, you know, earlier in this season, I would have suspected that, you know, this season's playoffs might be structured like last season's where they, they throw the Islanders a bone and let them play around at the Coliseum and then go to the bigger money-making uh, possibility at the Barclays Center. But I, I'm, not, I'm not throwing out the, 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 the idea or the notion that uh, all Islanders playoff games could be at the Coliseum this season. Again, uh, I don't want to fan the flames of speculation here i'm not reporting fact just kind of you know my opinion here that I, I i think it has a better chance of being a reality this season than it did last season when they uh, uh the league announced that the first round would be at the coliseum and all subsequent rounds would be at barclay center i, I think I, I i don't think it's impossible that, that it's a possibility that all games are at the Coliseum. We'll, we'll, we'll see that. We'll see, hopefully. Let's see. Uh, Bigeloid asks, does Everly have a nagging injury? Not that I noticed. Um, not that I see. He's not wearing anything that I can tell in the uh, dressing room. Uh, walking fine. Um, you know, he's stick handling okay. I, he's He's gotten his chances, certainly. You know, he whiffed on a shot in San Jose. A beautiful chance right in the slot and missed a backhander. And, you know, it's not always an injury. Sometimes players are just in a little bit of bad luck. And we all know that Eberle can be a little bit streaky, you know, much like, you know, a lot of point producers are, are streaky. You know, Beauvillier had that uh, reputation last season, certainly. Um you know, when I was on the Rangers, Rick Nash was one of the streakiest guys you'd ever see. So, I mean, we, we all know what Jordan Everly can do when he's going well. We saw that, you know, late March into April and certainly through that first round of the playoffs where he was, you know, nearly unstoppable and in the, in the Islanders' best offensive player. So I, I don't think it's an injury at this point. He, he, he came back healthy after that uh, absence earlier this season. I just think he... He's not producing right now. And, you know, all players to a certain extent, no one's 100% once you start the season. But, you know, I, I don't think Everly is, uh, you know, slogging through this right now. Um, Mike Sherman asks, Lee has one point uh, in the last nine and no 
power play goals all season. Everly has five points uh, in one in eleven games played, uh, and Mike Sherman notes that they're all assists in eleven games played. I'm um, I'm learning to uh, read emojis. Uh, thank you, Keith Kincaid of Long Island, for uh, forcing us all to be to have to read emojis. Um, do you see Lou and Trotz moving them around to try and help them find a groove? Obviously not touching that second line. No, no, he's not touching uh, the killer bees, uh, Beauvillier, Brock, and Broussard. Um, you know, I, I would think maybe if, if Trotz did, you know, blend his lines a little bit, as I mentioned before, maybe Josh Bailey gets a shot. Uh, up there, um, you know, instead of Anders Lee, instead of Jordan Everly, he could move Everly down. Um, but, you know, again, as I mentioned before, I, I just think Matthew Barzell is so comfortable with those two. You have to weigh whether that's going to negatively impact Matthew Barzell's game if you take those two away from him, even though those two aren't, you know, producing the points that you would hope they would. Um, so uh, it's, it is definitely something to watch as we move ahead. It'll be an interesting call. Um, Adam Sicardi asks, more NHL than Isles specifically, Penny, for your thoughts on a proposal to move the season up to August so the playoffs conclude in March and don't compete with NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball. I, I, I don't see that happening. Um, and, and, and here's the reasoning. Uh, you, you forgot, you, you didn't mention the NFL. And, you know, kind of, you know, from a, a journalism or newspaper standpoint, you always kind of feel like the NHL doesn't get the recognition, you know, maybe a lot of us would want, it, uh, would want to see it get until the NFL season is over. Um, so you're talking about February there. So, I mean, if you're really moving it up to August and trying to conclude it in March, that, that's, to me, that's actually lessening the window where, where hockey can kind of stand on its own a, a little bit. You know, once the playoffs start in April, sure, it's the start of, you know, the Major League Baseball season and you're competing against the NBA playoffs, but, uh, you know, I, I think the NFL is an even bigger behemoth, and I wouldn't want the playoffs competing in any way with the NFL playoffs or the Super Bowl or anything like that, especially since I, I think eventually it sounds like the Super Bowl will be pushed back, so maybe it's mid-February. So uh, I, I don't see that happening. Um, Brian G. asks, since Noah Dobson doesn't play, will he go play at the World Juniors and then get sent back to his junior team? Don't see that happening. Um, I, I've asked Noah about that. I don't think he sees a loan going on either. Uh, certainly not being sent back to his junior team. Uh, we've talked about this. The Islanders don't feel his development will be served at all. Uh, going back to junior hockey, um, they laid out the plan to Noah Dobson. He was going to be spotted into the lineup. Probably when you get more back-to-back -back games or more, you know, four and six nights or, you know, really compact schedules, five and eight, five and nine, something like that. Um, you might see Noah play a little bit more to give some of the veterans a rest. 
Um, I, I think the Islanders would be a little leery of letting him out of their control to go play at the World Juniors, although that is, you do get the benefit of the big stage experience. You know, Noah Dobson has that two straight Memorial Cups. Um, but I, I just don't see Lou, you know, seeding control of a player, um, you know, for, for a World Junior Tournament. You know, because injuries happen at any time during the NHL season. I don't think Lou would want to leave his team short either. Even though, you know, uh, right now Dobson is is the seventh D-man. But uh, I, I, I think this is the way it's going to be this season, where Noah is going to play sparingly as the Islanders are protective of his development. And, and he'll probably start next season in the AHL. And, you know, Lou's been very clear that if he could have sent Noah Dobson to the AHL this season, that would have been the perfect place for him. Um, but that was not a possibility, and Lou has also made it clear that he believes in the next CBA, the loophole, where you know a 19-year-old Noah Dobson cannot go to the AHL, whereas a 19-year-old uh, Bodie Wild can. That loophole be closed, and in, in the future, uh, Lou would be able to send Noah Dobson to the AHL at this age. But you know that's not going to happen until the new CBA happens. So. Uh, for now, um, Noah is the seventh D-man. And, and I, I should add, you know, he's got a great attitude about this. I, I, talk, I still talk to him from time to time. Just because he's not playing doesn't mean he's not on the team. He's always got a smile. And he's just, he's really handling this very, very well. All players want to play. And it is frustrating when you don't play. But Noah Dobson, you know, it was laid out because Barry and Lou were such good communicators. It was laid out exactly what was happening. There's no, you know, bad feelings or misconceptions about any of this. So, you know, for now, uh, this is what it is. And uh, I, I don't see him going to World Juniors, and I don't see him going back to Juniors. Uh, Peter Aloko, sorry if that's mispronounced, is Lou making a mistake not finalizing a new deal for Barzell now as his value seems to go up daily based on his play and production? Uh, two things. One, it takes two sides to finalize a new deal. And two, I, 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 you know, I have not heard of any uh, negotiations or anything like that. That does not mean there aren't talks. It just means that Lou uh, continues to, you know, lead the uh, league and keeping everything he does uh, under very close to his vest and under uh, under wraps. So, uh, you know, if it happens, it could be sprung on you uh, like a surprise. You know, oh, by the way, Barzell signed today. But, uh, you know, I, I haven't gotten any uh, smoke signals on that uh, as of yet. Is he making a mistake not finalizing a new deal? I, I think the Islanders would like to get it wrapped up. I, I, you know, as I've said before, it would not shock me if this is a difficult RFA contract negotiation with Barzell, who I think is going to want to get paid, sort of like the uh, Maple Leafs RFAs got paid, and we'll have to see how Lou uh, reacts to that. And I'm, I'm also not sure if Barzy is willing to give up any UFA years either. So I, I think just me looking at it, um, I, I would anticipate a difficult negotiation. 
Lee Bob asks, if the Isles don't see Leo as a center option, do you see Bar- Cole Bardreau uh, and Leo being Leo Komarov, of course? Do you see Cole Bardreau returning, or could Otto Koivola be the long-term solution for the season? I, I think uh, there is a chance of both. I, I definitely could see Cole returning. Um, I, they're, they're giving Otto every chance, and uh, Barry has talked about the trust he has with with Otto defensively, and that's where it starts with any player. And now, obviously, Otto's ice time has been limited, you know, seven, six minutes, under eight. Um, could he be the long-term solution for the season? He has a chance to prove that he can be, and that's all a player can ask for. Will will it work out? Uh, I still think you, you'll, you'll see Cole back at some point. Also, it wouldn't shock me uh, if they wind up uh, maybe using Josh Bailey as a center at some point. Uh, you know, Josh has just been all over the lineup. Uh, I think Barry said at one point or another he's played with, uh, you know, all, all the forwards on the team. So uh, Josh has been versatile, if nothing else, uh, this season. And I, I think they could turn to him to see if he could uh, provide you know, uh, help at center if needed. Um, Lou Island Islanders asks, with Wallstrom already at the nine-game mark of the season in, in terms of his, you know, entry-level contract burning the first season, is there any scenario you see them bringing him back this year and burning that one year of his entry-level contract? And yeah, I, you know, I don't think that's going to stop the Islanders. Uh, I think if they think Wallstrom is the guy to help this team, They'll burn that first year. Uh, I, I don't think that will stop them at all. Um, let's see. Andrew DeRuvo also wants to know whether the Islanders will bring Bardro back. Uh, as I said, quite possibly. I like Sezikis as the third center, and that's where he is right now. Koivola not showing as much as Cole did. It's a little different. Koivola, I think has much more potential as an offensive player, and they're trying to, you know, slowly drag that out of him, but he's certainly starting. It starts with defense with Otto, and he's trying to get the confidence in his offensive game. Um, He's a different player than Cole. Uh, Cole Bardreau is, you know, in the NHL, he's going to be that classic fourth-line grinder, and the Islanders, I I think, have uh, different hopes for Otto Koivula. Um, Joseph Gamalero says, uh, do you think we have enough to beat Washington and Boston in the playoffs, or do we need one more piece of the deadline? Maybe Taylor Hall, um, and, and Taylor Hall would, <laughs> that would be some piece. I mean, it would be, uh, it would cost a lot to get Taylor Hall here. Um, do we have enough, uh, do you think the Islanders have enough to beat Washington and Boston in the playoffs? And, you know, I'll be honest, those are probably the, particularly Boston might be the one team I think the Islanders would have the most trouble with in the playoffs. Uh, you know, Boston's just a tough matchup. They're big, they're physical, they can score. You know, they, their top line is tremendous. I just, I really like the Boston squad. And they're getting, you know, really good goaltending from Tuka Rask and old friend uh, Yarrow Alok. Um, I think they're 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 going to be very tough through the playoff run. Washington certainly, you know, leading the Metropolitan Division. I, I'll tell you what. I, I think the Islanders could beat any team 
they have the capability and the potential to beat any team in the playoffs, but that doesn't mean that, you know, uh, they, they, they are. Um, you know, Carolina, I think that's still a tough matchup for them. Um, you know, I, against Washington, uh, yeah, Washington's playing really well. I think the Islanders can certainly play with them, uh, and it'll be interesting against Boston. Uh, one more piece. Uh, wouldn't hurt. Certainly couldn't hurt to get another scorer in. We've been saying this uh, since breakup day, right? So uh, I, I don't know about Taylor Hall. Uh, you're really going to have to mortgage the future to bring him in. And, you know, if he hasn't signed with the Devils, does he really want to sign in this area? Um, I, I have a hard time seeing Taylor Hall as the guy that the, the Islanders do business with the Devils for. Um, Mike T. asks, what's going on with Kiefer Bellows? Uh, seems like he is really struggling down at Bridgeport. And yeah, uh, looking at his stats, uh, uh, one and two through 19 games and a minus 15. Um, certainly not developing the way the Islanders thought he would to this point. You know, 19th overall pick in 2016. Uh, certainly has the hockey pedigree. He's got a great attitude. I'm not watching Bridgeport games on a daily basis to tell you why it's not connecting for him down there, why, why the development has slowed. And, you know, he was 12 goals, 7 assists, uh, minus 20 in 73 games last season. So, you know, he's not producing offensively, and it doesn't look like uh, the coaching staff would be able to trust him defensively yet. So, you know, I know plus minus is kind of a, a facocta stat at times, but, you know, uh, uh, sometimes it also kind of in, is not an awful indicator either. So, uh, you know, and again, you know, uh, Michael Del Col was a 2014 first-round pick, and uh, it wasn't until last season that he really kind of broke through, and now he's a, a regular in the lineup. So, you know, uh, Kiefer Bellows, is, he's only 21. You know, there's still time for him to turn it around um, and, and make – something in terms of getting to the NHL, but uh, I, I don't think it's imminent at this point. Chris Dennehy asks, it took the Isles vets a while initially to adapt to the Trotzian system, so seems it must be uh, doubly difficult and a bit overwhelming for rookies like Koivula and Wallstrom. Um, I think each player is an individual case, and Otto Koivula has gotten the system pretty well, I, I think. Uh, Trotz has gone out of his way, like I said, to praise his defensive game and the trust he has in his defensive game. Uh, Wallstrom, they couldn't trust his defensive game, and they tried him in the top six. He wound up getting, you know, kind of the same kind of minutes Otto is right now on a fourth line, and that's not where they want to play Wallstrom, so away to Bridgeport he went. So each player is a... A separate case, and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if it's doubly difficult for a rookie to understand the system. The system is there to, you know, to, to support the players, and it's a pretty simple system. It's pay attention to the details, be in the right spot, support your teammates on the ice. I mean, it's really what every team is or should be preaching. Uh, Barry Trotz just teaches it as well as anyone in the league. 
Um, let's see. Steve says, can you explain the separation that Barzell is getting in the offensive zone? Felt like last year he consistently had someone in his back pocket. I think one thing um, is that Barzell is, is skating into uh, bad areas less and less. I, I think he is sticking, he's finding open ice better. Uh, I think that's just a... Uh, you know, an uptick in his development, really. Uh, and and I also feel like Anders Lee on that line opens up space for Matthew Barzell because uh, you got to pay attention to Lee down by the goal crease. And uh, as we said, you know, Jordan Everly goes to the corners and does a lot of dirty work too, and that frees up Barzell to not have to do that. So uh, I, I think you throw his teammates in there, Obviously, he's a superior skater, and you know what? He's getting smarter as a player, too. Instead of relying on instincts, he's thinking the game better. He's becoming a real student of the game. Uh, I think all of that is uh, adding up to what you're seeing. Phil asked, do you think it's time to move Lee back onto Barzell's power play unit to get him going? That, that could be one solution, but you know what? Uh, Barzell's unit is going pretty well. I know they had an 0 for 6 at San Jose. Um, I don't think it's time to move Lee back right now. I, I think, you know, Anders is getting some whacks and some chances around the net. One of them is going to go in, and, you know, all it takes is the one to, for a player to get the confidence. So I, I would I would stick with what's going on right now. Uh, Matt, uh, uh, pursuant to what I just uh, spoke about with Phil's question, said, did last night's power play performance, the 0 for 6 uh, at San Jose, spotlight team issues or was it an outlier due to the Sharks' solid PK? Uh, given that the, the power play had gone, I think, 2 for 7 in the previous game, I'm going to say the 0 for 6 was an outlier because the Sharks really are that good on the PK. They were so aggressive. They didn't let the Islanders breathe. But I think y- you saw as the game went on, the power play, even though it didn't, uh, connect that the power plays in the third period were better than the power plays in the first period. You know, probably give the Islanders another two, three power plays in that game that they would have scored. Uh, let's see, and we'll we'll wrap it up here with. Uh, is this where we're wrapping it up? Yeah. NL King says going to be very hard for Lou to find an elite offensive player by the deadline, such as. Uh, Hall or Kreider, New Jersey, New York, not trading with the Islanders. What do you think Islander, of Islanders landing Pajot uh, from the Sens? Uh, he would fit perfectly into Trot's system. Yeah, J.G. Jean-Gabriel Pajot uh, <laughs> would be a great get. Uh, I mean, again, he's, he's the Senators' top-line center, so he is going to be costly, even, you know, just like Taylor Hall is a rental, um, but I, I, a, a few people have brought up uh, Pajot to me, and I, I agree. I think he would be a great get. Um, what What's the price for him? It's going to be high. And, you know, are the Senators willing to trade him? Uh, you know, I, I would think that would be a great piece. The Senators are playing a lot better than anyone thought they would, and it seems like they have a really good coach up there in DJ Smith. Um, so maybe you want to have Pajot as part of the solution and not get rid of him. Like you, you've gotten rid of many other players, you know, I'm thinking Carlson, Broussard and, you know, Zingle and, you know, everyone who was traded last year. Um, 
Sens might want to keep a, a few players around. I know, you know, the, the, the owner up there, that's a, that's a detriment to uh, team progress. But, uh, you know, I'm not so sure they, they part with Pajot. But uh, if the Islanders could get him, yes, he, he certainly would make a, a good fit into this system. I, I think he would be a really good player for the Islanders if they could uh, pull that off. Um, but that is it for Andrew's Answers. Again, thank you so much for uh, all the, uh, the submissions this week. And uh, if you haven't already, uh, you know, please find me on Twitter at agrosnewsday. Uh, find the Island Ice podcast wherever podcasts are uh, to be found. You can find it on the Newsday website, newsday.com. Uh, slash sports. Uh, you can find it uh, on our website. You can go get the SoundCloud version. We're on uh, Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify. We're on Google Play. Please subscribe, rate, review, leave a comment. Let us know how we're doing. And uh, thank you all again for listening. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone, and happy hockey.